Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. So happy Sunday, everyone. We're finishing up our Buddhist work this month. We've been using After the Ecstasy, The Laundry of Jack Kornfeld's for inspiration. And uh, to kind of catch you up, in case you missed any of the last three Sundays, we've been talking about the idea of enlightenment. For starters, the, the reminder that enlightenment isn't something that just happens one day and then you're forever enlightened. It isn't uh, something that uh, you have to seek out on a mountaintop or, or do some particular process of becoming a nun or a monk or something like that. Uh, Jack Kornfeld's theory, and well, in fact, the Buddha's theory, which would be a good person to talk to about enlightenment, is that it really happens to us at any time of the day or night. We might have one of those moments that the Buddha called Satori, one of those moments where suddenly all the separations between us and our environment and other people just fade away and there's that blissful unity. Now, often we might find it in the midst of, uh, of nature outside or in the, in the midst of a meditation, but the, the warning here or the idea here is, uh, gosh, it doesn't require some kind of a setup. It really can happen to us at any time, assuming that we're willing, assuming that we become that kind of person with the kind of consciousness that actually invites it in. And so we're going to talk about that some more today. But the place I want to start actually is going back a few centuries uh, to the teachings of India and the, the, the scripture called the Veda manuscript. So, so some of you might know the very first manuscripts ever recorded on the planet on scrolls were from India called the Vedic teachings. And uh, one of the uh, teachings has to do with this thing called Indra's jeweled web. And so bear with me for a minute. I, th I think it's a, a marvelous depiction though of life. So Indra, one of the Hindu gods, in charge literally of creating the heavens and the earth. And so Indra's vision of this was literally a jeweled web. And so in the inner uh, inner seas of, of, of the web, uh, represented by energy and by matter, so when, I think this is fascinating, I, I think we've got uh, perhaps Albert Einstein's unified theory at work here, only back in the times of the, the Vedic writings, that where energy and matter come together in each of those inner seas is a jewel, a jewel of consciousness, a jewel that is your consciousness, that every living being is represented in, in this teaching by that, uh, that sparkling, that light-filled Indra's jewel. And so there are a couple things about this, uh, of course, that resonate with me. One is, this is a tapestry, this is a web, and if you remove any piece of a tapestry, what happens? The whole thing is open for unraveling. The whole thing loses if any one piece of it is missing. So, so think of it again in terms of our own consciousness. We are necessary for the whole. The universe is not at its best when we're not at our best. The other thing about Indra's web, which I think is really interesting, and uh, it, it follows forward in, of course, later, later Christian and other teachings, uh, to Indra, 
each of these jewels was reflective. And so in each and every point of consciousness, you could see the reflection of all of the others. And so when you're having a bad day, when your gem, if you will, is dull, that reflects out again to the whole. And if you're having a particularly stunning day, if you're, if you're burning bright and full of love and joy, that too gets reflected out and is in reflected out into all the other points of light in the universe. And so literally, when we're not at our best, when we're feeling less than spiritual, when we're maybe uh, sowing a little uh, bad karma out there, it shows up in the whole darn web. And so, it, and it's not presented as a, well, shame on you for messing things up kind of thing, but rather it's the invitation to be the best we, for, for us as individuals, to be our best self because everyone benefits from it. Every single point of light in the universe is there as a reflection of us and for us. This is amazing. If you think about it, if you, if you move forward a, a thousand years, you'll get the, the teachings of Jesus where he said, uh, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto, unto you, right? The, that same idea that when we, when we put out love, we get love back. That, that reflective quality of, of Indra's jewels at work here. When we put out joy, love, kindness, when we have compassion to our fellows, when we're in essence being as close to our higher wisdom self as we can be, the reflection out in the world is staggering. And of course, the reflection back to us magnifies it. All right, so that's the idea of Intra's web, and I want to talk a little bit about then how this relates to the idea of enlightenment or moments of Satori. But I think to get there, I need a, a Mullah Nazaruddin story. So those, some of you know that I, I like my uh, Persian saints. Well, saint. Uh, Mullah loosely trans into saint slash provocateur. So I think today he's more the provocateur and less the saint. But let's, uh, let's see what you think. So the local religious leader invited Mullah Nasruddin over for dinner and conversation one night. Nasruddin, not having eaten much that day, was famished when he got there, eager for a meal. But after two hours, the religious leader had, well, and I promise, if you come to my house, we'll eat first. I, I, I promise, I, I, I won't hold you hanging. But after two hours, the religious leader had yet to offer Nazaruddin anything to eat and instead spoke, not, see here's where I'm afraid you'll make comparisons, and spoke nonstop about a variety of religious topics and spiritual stories. Well, Nazaruddin got more and more annoyed with each passing minute. He finally interrupted the man and said, may I ask you something? Well, the religious leader was eager to answer, eager to clarify some small aspect of scripture or morality. I was just wondering, said Nazaruddin, did any of the people in your scripture ever eat? <laughs> and see, I, I think that is the issue with our enlightenment. We're waiting for the meal. We're, 
we're waiting thinking that it's dependent upon something. We're, we're waiting for Reverend Larry on Sunday to give us the answer to enlightenment. We're, we're waiting on Brene Brown's latest book, which is coming out and I'm excited, uh, you know, to, to tell us the, the way and the, and the means. We're, we're waiting on Sunday morning to get our, our inspiration. We're waiting on Marcy Beck to write another fabulous song to get us through the week. We're waiting on our connection circle so we can have that midweek jolt of, and the reality is enlightenment, the potential for it is with you every second of every day. And when we think we're waiting for it, we're actually holding it out there. We're actually saying, not now. It's going to come in the connection circle. Not now. I'm waiting for Larry's treasure mapping. That'll be the inspiration I really need to have a more enlightened life. I'm here to tell you it's right now. It's always right now. And I want to talk about some of the things that we view as not right now. So who here has some things around the house or the yard or even at work that you just hate to do? Wow, there's like three of you who didn't raise your hand. That's cool. I'm going to talk to you afterwards because there are sure things in my life that I dread doing. It, recently, I had the uh, <clears throat> honor of doing some house sitting for a friend and I had to clean the cat box. And I got to tell you, there are a few things less pleasant on this, <laughs> on this planet from the perspective of aesthetics anyway as doing the cat box. And I bet there are things around your home and your life that you just dread doing, whether it's talking to a certain person, whether it's a certain task at work. I know we're getting ready for fall cleanup, and I got to tell you, I enjoy the flowers in the spring, but doing the cleanup in fall, not so much. Now, the Buddha would invite us to say there's God in all of this. The Buddha would even say more than that. The Buddha would say there's even enlightenment to be found in all this. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. First of, all, first of all, the caution. What I observe when there's something we don't like to do, we remove ourselves spiritually and mentally from it. So from the get-go, on purpose we do this little separation thing. Well, I'm not the litter box. I'm not the fall cleanup. I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to get it done, right? Because I recognize that, you know, there are benefits later, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. We'll talk about that too in a minute. Because some things I think we do just out of, what, habit that maybe don't need to be done at all. But, uh, but let's, uh, let's stick with the idea that at least what we're doing maybe has some benefit later. And so we hunker down. We kind of grit our teeth. Right, We get out the big black plastic bag ready to dump the nasty litter in it, right? The trouble is that on purpose is saying, I'm taking me out of this. I'm not a part of what's going on. I'm not going to be a part of this argument. I'm not going to be a part of this odious task. I'm not going to be a part of these uh, annoying things going on in my life. I'm just going to hope for the best. I'm going to take myself out of it and just get it done as best I can. What you're saying is, this is not part of my life. You're, give, you're literally giving away part of your life, if you think about it. 
Because we're here to enjoy life. We're here to participate in life. We're here to find meaning in life. And when on purpose you remove yourselves from that, you're saying, not now. There's no enlightenment for me now. There's no God in this. I'm going to pass. I wonder how much of our lives we've actually passed on already. How much of our lives have we kind of mentally said, I'll take a rain check on that. I'll be enlightened later. I'll have a a pleasant time later. So let me tell you a a story of my first job. Oh, I was so excited. I had just uh, graduated from University of Oregon. I had a degree in English, in theater, in writing. Uh, Trouble was I also kind of needed a job and started to pay back student loans. And at the time, I guess it was 1975, and at the time, the job market was kind of hard. And in my field, right, English and theater, there was, I applied to a bunch of different places. The one place that would hire me in my field was a casino in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. I'm not picturing it either. <laughs> so I turned that down, but I was starting to get a little bit desperate, literally. And so my friend said, oh, go apply at the telephone company. They'll hire anybody. And I thought, well, thanks for that. <laughs> but it was true. They did hire me. And so uh, after about uh, three weeks of training, I had my first real day out on the field. And they called it the field because it was a room probably twice as big as this, a sea of desks. And my job was, well, in fact, I can act it out. I'll be Marseille Marceau and do the mime thing here for you. Um, Over here was what they called a teletype machine. And it chugged away literally all day, spitting out what they called service orders. And the paper just rolled over the back. It was continual. And when you needed some work, you got off and ripped off a few pages of it. You would take it back to your desk, and there was a terminal there, and you would literally type in information off what you just pulled off of that machine. You typed it onto this machine. You hit a print button. Over here, that chugged up. You ripped it off and fed it into another machine that broadcast it out into the world. And I thought to myself, kill me now. Just kill me now. And I looked around the room of other people and I could see that most of them had died. I mean, think about this. The light had gone out of their eyes. They were sitting there like zombies. Uh, Three times a day, the union specified they could get up from their desks and go to the break room. And guess what they did on their breaks? Talked about their death here at the telephone company, right? How awful it was and how the pay was bad. And I thought, kill me now. But you know, I was young enough and excited enough to realize that I could make a difference for me. And although this was long before I had any idea of the Buddha or any kind of enlightenment or even science of mind, I did recognize that it was up to me to bring life into my life. That if I waited for the telephone company, if I waited for the, you know, some alignment of planets to bring me interest in life, who knows how long I would wait. 
And so the first thing I did was I asked my supervisor if I could change my chairs, because I did notice there were at least, out of the maybe 350 people, there were three or four of us that still had a little bit of light left in our eyes. And I knew that if I sat next to those people, at least we'd have that feeling of being in it together. And I want to offer this up as the first thought of you when you're doing something you don't want to be doing or something that feels it isn't part of God. Well, with other people, it at least will be beyond your own sense of who you are doing something that just you don't want to do. Now, you might think of it as misery loves company, but I don't want to go there. I'm thinking that company breeds excellence, that the company of someone else in any task, there is God right with you participating. And so that was my first clue. And I got to switch my desk, and, and on one side I had my friend Bobby, and on the other side uh, I had another friend, and oh my gosh, it made so much different. We'd, even if it was just rolling our eyes now and then, it's some crazy order that chugged up on the teletype. Even if it was only going to someone at break time where we would talk about what fun things we were going to do on the weekend, that alone made a big difference. The other thing, though, Bobby and I knew that we were not doomed to be at that teletype machine our entire lives. And one of the things we recognized, that if we became better typists and more accurate, we'd get a better job, even in this darn telephone company. And so she and I made a game of it. My friend Bobby and I challenged each other, how many of these darn things can you get typed from this machine into that machine into that machine with the least number of errors? We made a game out of it. And then one day, about two months into it, I started actually thinking more about what we were doing. These things chugging up that they called service orders contained the names, the addresses, and the phone numbers of all of the telephone subscribers. This was the information that allowed the linesmen and people out in the field to get to the right house. This was the information that got published in the telephone directory that would allow you to call your Aunt Norma. These were the, the names and the addresses that would allow the ambulances. Now, now consider the time this was in, right? Now we'd look it up on the internet. But back then... If you wanted to know where someone lived, it was in the telephone book, including emergency personnel. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head. What I did, even though the physical act of it seemed meaningless, there was actually a pretty clear purpose here. A reason not only for me to want to have good spirits doing it, not only a reason that I'd like to find more meaning in my life, but even the silly thing I was doing for eight hours a day had a meaning to it. And so I would challenge you, once again, think of some of the things you don't like doing around the house or at work or in your life. First of all, have you taken yourself out of this? Would you consider maybe doing it with someone and putting yourself back into it? Would you consider thinking about the benefits 
of whatever it is you're doing. Now, now I know there are probably a few things we do that seem to have no benefit at all. But I gotta tell you, I bet the cat likes having the clean litter box. I bet even some of the committee meetings you're in at work, I bet good things come of them. I bet that when you look beyond the literal thing you're doing right now, it wouldn't be there unless there was a benefit somewhere down the line. Now, if there's not, then I would question, why, are you, why the heck are you doing it? Maybe it's time to put that one aside. I, I know Daniel's still working on me as to whether the bed needs to get made every night. I, I think it's nice to get into it all smooth and nice, and so I, I'm kind of like, let's make the bed every day. He's more like, mm, you know, whatever. <laughs> And so one by one, you each get to make a decision. If it's something that you don't like doing, is there a benefit to it? Because if there's not, just give it up. I'll make the bed. He doesn't have to. But if it's something that you see benefit in, put your joy into it. Put your livelihood into it. Recognize you're doing it as part of and on behalf of God itself. Back to Indra's web here for a moment. When you are acting out your daily activities with joy and peace and enthusiasm, do you see the web sparkling? It's you putting out in those reflected gems out in the universe more of yourself, more of your activity, more of your life, more of your zeal. And then do the reverse for a minute. Picturing yourself just hating whatever it is you're doing. Just being grumpy and hateful and spiteful about it. Saying, you know, why is this damn thing happening to me? Why am I stuck in this miserable existence of a litter box? Why, why, why? And I know we've all been there. I mean, not all the time, thank heavens. But haven't we all been there? Do you see what that does to Indra's web too? We really have the choice. And enlightenment is in those moments as well as at church on Sunday, as well as reading the latest book by Brene Brown. The awareness of us as spiritual beings is always, always, always at hand. It's doing the laundry. It's having a discussion with our boss. It's a committee meeting. It's typing up service orders and feeding them into another machine. And it only awaits our recognition of the importance of it when done with enthusiasm and grace, joy and interest. It's what enlivens the whole world. It's why so often we walk through our lives imagining that most of the people we encounter are not really present on some level. It's because they've given up. It's because they don't realize that every activity is part of God in action. And when we respond in kind, uh, back to the idea of misery loves company, have you ever had a, a break at work or just a discussion with friends which basically was just a bicker discussion about every wrongful thing possibly happening on the planet and you kind of support each other or even do kind of the one-up thing, oh, you think that was bad, let me tell you about this thing that happened. When we do that, oh my gosh, it's like we're just throwing mud on that web. 
Now I realize everyone is entitled to their experience of life. And sometimes people will be having, well, it goes beyond a bad day. Tragedy strikes, absolutely. And people, of course, need to feel and process tragedy in their own lives. But that's not what I see most often. What I see most often is just us complaining about nothing. And when that is our habit, when that becomes who we are, we are missing out. We're not only missing out the ability for us to get closer to our higher power, not only are we missing out the brilliance that exists in each one of us, the ability to have fun, the ability to to give joy, the ability to, to show our compassion, but we also bring down the whole darn thing. That reflection of us goes out into the world and it brings the whole thing down. And I don't mean this as a guilt trip. I'm not saying that when you're not doing your part, we all suffer. Well, actually, I am saying that. Um, but, but let me clarify. Because <laughs> I won't fib to you. <laughs> I do want you to have the space to do grieving when you need to grieve. I do want you absolutely to have the, the, the peace and, and the ability to process your emotions that can be so deeply fall, felt as a reaction to negative things going on. This isn't about putting on the happy face, but it's the invitation to put aside our petty grievances and actually engage fully in our day-to-day living. Not moaning from one thing to the next, but looking forward to one thing to the next. Being able to find the gems that are every person that we interact with and being able to see the good, excited about the good, even in the laundry, even in the litter box. I'm going to close today with a a quick quote from After the Ecstasy, the Laundry. This is how he closes out this book. He says, Before we awaken, our joy is to use the things of this earth But after the grace of our beginning in awakening, our joy is to serve the things of this earth. With the growth of wisdom, our life becomes more and more a creative act, an act of service. The beauty of such an understanding is that it excludes no one and it excludes nothing. In the traditional culture of Bali, there are no words for artists, no particular group of creative people, no idea of those who serve and those who do not. Each person offers his or her particular gift, and each act serves the gods. Sacred music, dance, painting, song, story, mystical trance, prayer, they're all blended with the everyday cooking of a meal, the planting of crops, the drinking, excuse me, the drinking of water or the driving of a cart, all is activity, all is held worthy, all is connected to God itself. This is what I think is important in our lives, to not step back and divorce ourselves from a good part of our own lives, but to find the beauty in it, to recognize that in every moment is a prayer, in every second there is that gem of possibility. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one goodness. What I know about this thing, and call it what you will, what I know about this one thing is that it's everything. 
And so the peace of God is my peace, the joy of God is my God, the wisdom of God is mine to have and to understand. And that, that enlightenment, that satori, that unity of all things, yes, it's mine, always mine, if I choose to look for it. And as it is true for me, it can be true for each person in this room, each person within the hearing of my voice, each person on this planet has that right to find Satori every moment of every day, to see an enlightenment when we're doing the laundry, to be fully present for the litter box, to see and to understand that even when we're having discussions that are painful with those we love, it's with those we love. And that connection that connection itself is God at work. And so for this, I'm grateful. Grateful for knowing that our lives can be fully lived. I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here. So grateful you're here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.